0: I don't know how many of you have got to meet Owen and Allison yet. Um, number of them. It has been, they've been around hanging out here for a number of months, and it has been, been great to get to know them. Um, Allison is Tim and Tracy's daughter, and um, Owen and Allison have been missionaries in Senegal for a couple of years. Owen is an ordained minister, seminary grad, all those wonderful things. But here's the here's the cool thing: as I, <laughs> as I've gotten to know him, just in the last even just number of weeks, the thing that's the coolest is they love Jesus greatly, and he's passionate about making Jesus known and sharing that with other people. That is his heart, and that is an awesome, awesome thing, and that is well, frankly, the coolest. So, hey, I just want to pray for Owen, and um, bless this, and I'm going to sneak out and hang out with the kids, but um, I, it's going to be wonderful. I'm sorry I can't be in here. Dear Lord, I just want to pray right now that you, through your spirit, would speak to us through Owen. I pray that in, we sit here, we, we sit before your holy word, your scriptures. We sit here and we have Somebody speaking to us your words. And in the midst of all of that, your spirit is at work in our hearts, saying, yes, that right there, that's what you need. And applying it to our hearts. And through that whole process, you are changing us into the image of your son. Lord, and I would pray that right now in this time that you would use Owen to do that, that you would speak to him. Lord, I pray that you would bless, that you would Leave us not the same, that you would give us a desire to grow, to walk ever closer with you, Lord. I pray that you would be glorified in this. We love you so, so much, Lord. Meet with us, Lord. May you meet with us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Blessings. Thank you. Thank you, Shane. Thank you. Well, good morning,
1: everybody. Good uh, who am I? I guess I want to start with who are you? I got the privilege of spending the week with your wonderful pastor and family uh, down in South Bend. Now, I don't know about you guys, but when someone asks you, would you like to vacation with us? Your first response, especially if you don't know the person very well, is, I I don't know, do I? And uh, that's what uh, happened with uh, Kevin and I When he asked, hey, would you like to come down and tour South Bend and see Ship and go to the beach with the family, Uh, stay with us in our house? Now, I have five kids. There's five of us, and you know how many they have. We had 18 people in one house. At one point, I think it was 20. Uh, And so what a wonderful time, though. I would like to say just you guys are blessed, aren't you, to have such wonderful leaders, have such a wonderful example of someone who is just living, sold out for Christ. Uh, that's a wonderful family. Uh, man, I, I got to know them pretty well over those few days. Uh, I think if you can burp and other things in front of people, you're pretty close. And so uh, what a great time. But who are, who, who are you and who am I? He, he mentioned it, and throughout the conference, people coming up and asking us, oh, who are you, where are you from? And it reminded me of uh, our time when we were in Senegal, the same questions. Everybody wants to know who you are. And as Americans, we, we tend to answer that with our career. So I'm stuck. Because if you ask me who are you, I would first say I'm a carpenter from Lansing. That's where I got my start. Uh, I was mentored in the Lord and in carpentry by John Schaefer, many of you may know, the Schaefer family. Uh, and that's who I am. At least that's my career. And uh, other people, you know, would say, "Well, you were an, uh, an, a missionary," and 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 they're like, "Oh, a missionary," and, and that's always really cool when you're hanging out with pastors. You can walk into a group and say, "Well, I was a missionary, an apostle of you know," and or there's another angle you can take. I'm a homeless bum. We tend to make ourselves sound better than what we are, but the reality is, is I'm homeless, in a sense. uh, I mean, I get to live and stay with my in-laws during our sabbatical season, but I'm homeless. Now, I would never say that I'm homeless. That's not the way I would see myself, Uh, but by the definition, that's who I am. And there are many of us in this room that we're carrying titles. We're carrying uh, um, an idea with us, and either we're making ourselves better than what we are or lesser than who we are. And so in Senegal, we found ourselves struggling with this because It's a Muslim-majority country. We walk in, and the last thing we want anyone to know is that we're missionaries, right? Because I don't know about you guys, but in most of the part of the world, missionary is a curse word. Uh, It's someone who comes and exploits. Uh, They think of the old colonial powers. And so the last thing is missionary. And even worse than missionary is the word Christian. And if they find out that you're a pastor who's a missionary trying to lead others to become followers of Christ, that's, it's complicated, right? And so you're, you're, you're asking yourself, what what, you know, what, do I say? Who am I? And this was a struggle Allie and I faced and our team faced when we are there. Um, and it leads to the bracelet that I'm wearing that says, love by God. You see, our identity is locked up in God's love for us. That's who we are. And this passage, uh, Jeremiah 29 Behind the whole scene that we're going to look at is this idea of loved by God. And what is happening in your life, what is going on right now, is not who you are. It's what's happening or it's what you're doing. You're loved by God. Once you come to realize that, that's who you are, your identity becomes clear. And I love to tell the story of my friend Brett in Senegal. When we were when we were figuring this out, he finally was just done with it. And he started telling people, I'm a follower of Jesus. I teach his word. Would you like to know him? And he walked into the southern uh, neighborhood below us, the neighborhood south of us, most dangerous part of the city with terrace cells and everything, moved down in there, walked into the community and said, I am a follower of Jesus. I teach his word. I want to show you who he is. May I do that? And he went into the local, they say, chef de cartier, the chief of the community, and he said those words. And for centuries, missionaries have come in in different ways, and there's been different experiences in that community. And the chief said, because you spoke the truth and told me who you were, you have my blessing. And for two years— there was a church that grew and was planted. And it came against all sorts of uh, conflict and hate. And every single time we had a problem with the community, we went back to that chef and said, you said we have your blessing. He said, yes. Will you fix this problem? He said, yes. And he did. And right now today, there is a church meeting today in that neighborhood. And I think about how that would have never happened if if we would have just kept on you know, beating around the bush, kept on, you know, struggling with our identity, Um, fear of maybe reprisal or, you know, conflict, instead of just saying, no, this is who we are. And so if you open your Bibles to Jeremiah 29, this passage is a wonderful passage, and we're going to just read it, and my prayer is that the Lord will speak to your heart, and you would be strengthened in your identity. So may the Lord... Come, speak to us today, reveal to us what it is you're saying, just wipe away the lies, wipe away all of the confusion, Lord, from from the anger to the hopelessness, just bring clarity and speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. So let's get started, Jeremiah 29.1. These are the words of the letter of Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exile, to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had been taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiakim. Uh, Jecon- who can say that word? Jehoiachin. Can you believe it? I actually took Hebrew and I can't still pronounce that word. Jeho- and the queen mother, the eunuchs, and the officials of Judea and Jerusalem, the craftsmen, and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elaza, the son of Zephaniah, or Zephaniah, and Gamariah, the son of Helakah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar. I want to stop there. And I want to just, I'm sorry, I, I get a little nervous when I go into new territory. Uh, I've been watching Kevin and how he does it, like he had you stand, and I was praying, Lord, like, how much of this can I, like, ad- adapt, and then how much do I, can I be myself, you know? Is it okay if I be myself? So I'm, I'm probably going to break all the rules, what you're comfortable with, what you're used to doing, uh, but I, I want to focus in verse five verse, and I want to ask you guys to listen to what the Lord is saying, not to what I'm saying. What is the Lord saying to you? You see, this passage is a great title Bloom Where You're Planted. Bloom Where You're Planted. And I want to talk to you about um, a hope that is offered to you. A hope that is offered to you. You see, Jeremiah, we've been covering this whole passage, or this whole chapter, uh, the whole book within the last few months, right? Or how, how many months have it been? One month or two months? Two, almost two months? And it's been just a progression. And I feel like this passage, there's, there's three people in this crowd. The first person is the person, perhaps you have not surrendered your life to the Lord. Perhaps you have not uh, come under his authority. And, and you're, you, you need to do that. But more importantly, most of us in here, there, there are two people in this room. And I like to call them Daniel and Ezekiel. Because this whole entire letter that we're about to break into was written to Daniel and Ezekiel. They were brought into exile, and then Jeremiah literally writes to these people. And so Ezekiel, Ezekiel 36, and Daniel are two of the, of the people, literally the people who are standing in Babylon, and Jeremiah is writing from Jerusalem to them. And so there's going to be a play on all of Daniel, all of Ezekiel, Zephaniah, and um, Habakkuk. And all of these characters are playing into this one chapter. And so if you've ever done biblical theology and tried to fit where all of these stories fit in together, this chapter is going to link it all together for you. You see, Jerusalem represented a special place where you could go and meet with God. I think of it, we got to go down to uh, Notre Dame on Tuesday, and see the basilica. And I was kind of teasing uh, Pastor Kevin. I said, hey, why don't we just go in and go to mass? And uh, he's like, really? I was like, yeah, let's just go to mass. And uh, so we went in and we went to mass, the 11 o'clock mass um, in the basilica. Uh, and, and my kids have been begging to go to a mass because in Senegal, we have a massive cathedral there. And I said, oh, well, maybe when we get back to the States. So it all worked out. And if you've ever seen this place or have been into a basilica and you see the beauty and the art and the expression of worship to God, and if you go into the study of what that means to to those who who, who follow that stream, it's a special place. It's a place of grace. It's a place of blessing. it's, It's got a special place in the hearts of followers of Jesus. And so if you just think of that, if you've ever seen a cathedral, and you've been inside one, it is a place where you meet with God. And this is what Jerusalem represented. It was the place where God met with you. And it was the only place, really, you could do that. So if you're outside of that place, you really were outside the blessing. If you're away from that place, you really couldn't thrive and flourish. And so you have Jeremiah having a vision in chapter 24. Jeremiah in chapter 24 has a vision, and in that vision, God says, You know, this place, Jerusalem, it's toxic. It's worthless. It cannot produce ripe figs. You know, Babylon, that place where they all went? That is a place of flourishing. That is the place I planted them. And, and he has this vision, and it's a prophecy that those in Jerusalem are rotten figs, but those in Babylon, are ripe figs. Now, if you think about gardening and planting uh, vegetables, you know exactly what Jeremiah is talking about, that you need good soil. You need uh, fertile soil. I tried to plant a tree in Senegal. I went out and I bought all sorts of plants, had no idea what I was doing, and I tried to plant it, and, and I dug as deep as I could to plant this tree. And it's supposed to grow like three stories tall. And I kept digging and digging, because I know it needs to be in good soil, right? And I kept digging and digging. I get down to about three feet, and guess what I find? Sand, 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 sand. I was like, there's got to be good soil here. But little did I know that they built the whole entire peninsula on a sand dune. They just leveled it. And so we're living on a sand dune. And I'm digging. I'm like, what do you do? How do you do this? You can't plant these trees. And so I was like, what are you guys doing? And so what they would do is they would they put them pots down into the sand and put fresh soil into a pot and then put a tree there. Because you'd see these trees. And the only thing that would grow there was some palm trees. But you'd see all these beautiful trees and flowers. And I could never understand how that worked. But I was digging. And This is what God is saying. Where you were, it was toxic, pride, idolatry, all sorts of sin. I'm going to transplant you so that you can grow. You see, God is in the business of producing fruit. God is in the business of helping you bloom. You don't need to worry about blooming. You need to just settle down and focus on being who God's called you to be, loved by God, and where you're at, and let the King of kings, the Lord of lords, cause you to bloom. And so in Jeremiah, you have this exile, but it was not an exile. It was not an exile in the sense of you are banded, like in the garden, from the holy place. It was an exile so that you can bloom. This is so important because we all know Jeremiah 29, 11. But the context let's read it, verse four, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses, live in them, plant garden, gardens, and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters mm, uh, take wives and have sons and daughters uh that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease. God wants us to bloom. He wants us to flourish. And a lot of times we turn our back on God because we don't realize that in order to flourish, he has to prune us or place us in the place where we can grow. And the message that the Lord's really laid on my heart is there's two people, I, I really want to just push into this, two people in this room. One is like Daniel, and one is like Ezekiel. The first person is is angry at God. The first person is is upset about the circumstance you're in. And my, my challenge to you is to see it like Daniel saw it. My challenge to you is to be like Daniel. Flourish in a foreign context. You see, he commands them to go and build. He commands them to go and plant and to marry. And this command, I think, is a command that we could really take for ourselves, and that is to just settle down, make a long-term investment, to to settle down and make maybe a cultural adjustment, to settle down, maybe make, A lifetime commitment and I really think that when God moves into our lives and has this time of change and there's a time of upheaval and there's a time of 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 really just transplanting someone we get upset we get mad we say things like well I don't have any friends here well I don't have my community here I don't have my church Or my security. And you could put whatever that is in there. I know most of us have gone through transition. But what I think the Lord is challenging Daniel and Ezekiel and the group that went into exile, he's challenging them, he's saying to them, look, I did this, get over it, settle down, live in it. I did this, get over it. This is my hand, my doing, settle down. Now, think about that. We cause a lot of pain in our lives, right? We do things to us, we, we to ourselves. We do things like um, eat the wrong food, or hang out with the wrong people, or maybe we just cause pain in our own lives. And God is telling them, like, they did this, in a sense, to themselves. They disobeyed God. They refused to do what He said. But then, God's like, wait, wait, but I did this. So, There's this play in our lives about things happen to us because we make decisions, but then God is bigger than that. He knows what's going on, and he's going to bring something good out of it. We just need to partner with him and bloom where we're planted. If we do this, then we will see the promise. We will see the plans that the Lord has for us. We will see all of these things come out of us. You see, I believe that the verse 11, which we'll get to, comes after these imperatives to build to plant to marry the plan of god for israel would never take place if they didn't settle embrace what god was doing and just flourish in that moment and a lot of times we want the plan of the lord for our lives a lot of times we want god to 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 just fulfill what he's promised and we yet we refuse to bloom where we're planted We refuse to take that and do something with it. For the Jews, it would have been difficult because it would have been a long-term investment in that they would have to live in Babylon, a foreign city, cursed by God, right? That's in their mind, it's cursed by God. They're the enemy. They'd have to live there for a lifetime. The whole idea of, of, of marrying, having children, and giving your children to marriage is this idea of a lifetime. The whole idea of a generation, the whole idea of 70 and Jeremiah, he's talking about a lifetime. You pick this up when he talks about Nebuchadnezzar, his son, and his grandson. And there's a there's three generations here. God is promising this is gonna be a lifetime. So settle down. Make a long-term investment. Now, this is this is so important to grasp because God has already prophesied that this is gonna happen. And if you look at 27, 28, 29 of, of Jeremiah, there is this. Battle taking place between lies, false prophets, and Jeremiah. And this whole entire story is locked up within these three chapters. And it's, it's this battle that they're saying, no, 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 no. You know, all those vessels, all of the gold uh, utensils for the temple, all of those things that were designed by God and given to us, it's all going to be back in two years. No, no, no. Those guys, you know, who went into the exiles, oh, yeah, they're cursed by God. They're the ba- You know, they weren't serving God, really. We, we are the true remnant because we're here in Jerusalem, they're being punished. And and, you know, it's okay, because God's going to bring them back. It's going to be all over in two years. And you had these false prophets just speaking lies about the situation that they're in and telling them that it's okay, it's all going to be over or God has this plan. And my challenge to you is to ignore the lies and listen to God. Because God was saying the opposite of the prophets. He was saying, no, no, no. Make a lifetime investment, a long-term investment. Adjust your lifestyle for the situation you're in, the culture you're about to face, and, and make a commitment to marry, to raise children. Because to eat and plant, and eat and plant, is to change your dietary, uh, uh, the, the whole entire dietary system for the Jews, which would have been, right, against the law. They, they would have to figure out how to live like Jews in a foreign culture to be obedient to the Torah and Yahweh in a foreign context. And that's why I say, look at Daniel's life. Look how he did it. Daniel was a young man. He saw the murder and pillaging of his city. He saw Nebuchadnezzar and his hordes of army just come along and destroy everything he loved and cherished. But what did Daniel do? And if you read throughout Daniel, Daniel loved the king, prayed for the king, Daniel figured out how to acculturate. He figured out how to um, be a part of, but not assimilate into. And this is such an important idea because you could be in a horrible context right now. You can be in the worst situation. You can be in a difficult marriage. You can be in a difficult work environment. And I, I really believe the Lord is saying to you, you can acculturate, but you don't have to assimilate. You don't have to let that person dominate you you don't have to let that environment crush you you can transform that environment you can live inside it and you can flourish you can flourish in that and a lot of times we feel like we have to just get out of the mess we're in or run from the problem right from last week run out of prison and God's like no I'm going to do something.